Yo, what is up? Welcome to Ambitious. My name is Dylan Price. Today's guest is the CEO and co-founder of one of the biggest podcasts and companies in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, AJ Harbinger. AJ, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much for coming on. So there's a lot to unravel with you um, on social relationships, everything that I would love to get into. But very first, I'd like you to briefly tell my audience how you got your start, how Art of Charm came about, and a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. I was in graduate school at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, and I was struggling to make friends, connect with people, date quality women, and when I got to graduate school, I thought I was pretty confident, but my confidence got knocked around a bit, and I started to realize that people didn't like me as much as I had hoped. So I started doing some research around how to become more likable, how to win friends and influence people and get better dates, and along that journey, I started a podcast, and the podcast originally was all around dating and social skills, and as the podcast grew and our audience got more interested in learning from us and some of our guests. We decided to start a coaching company, and that's essentially how the Art of Charm was born. Now, you start this company, and how has it taken off beyond your dreams from the beginning? Yeah, we started it 13 years ago as a hobby, and the podcast was fun, of course, to interview amazing people and learn. And as the coaching programs grew and the interest level grew, uh, the programs now are coaching men and women. We start doing corporate training, working with executives one-on-one. So the company and its teachings have grown from just helping young adults get better with social skills and confidence all the way up now to teaching advanced social skills to military professionals, VCs, entrepreneurs, executives. So it's really grown uh, beyond my wildest dreams. Certainly 13 years ago, I did not anticipate this. Now, you started the company with, I believe, Jordan Harbinger, and now you don't work with him anymore, but you work with another co-host, and I believe his first name is Jordan as well, and I know I'm going to butcher his last name. Can you say it for me quick? Yeah, Johnny. Oh, Johnny. Johnny Zubak is his name. And he was actually one of the original co-founders as well. So me, Jordan, and Johnny started the company 13 years ago and originally as I said it was just a podcast where we interviewed other people and it grew into a coaching company where we now run week-long in-person coaching programs in Los Angeles as well as fly around the world to work with companies and their teams in person on social skills. Now all very great incredible story and start to your career and you're still fairly young as well and a lot of room to grow and a lot of room to grow with this company. I have personally a bunch of questions for you as well as I have some listener questions for you throughout the podcast. So diving into some of my questions for you, one thing I've always wondered is what is, in your opinion, one of the keys or a few of the keys to maintaining a successful dating relationship? Well, I think the key with any relationship, dating or social or professional, is communication. And it's an area that I've struggled with as an introvert and being a little shy. And it's an area that I put a lot of focus and effort on improving myself in my personal relationships. Uh, I'm now engaged. And I realize that communication or lack of communication really is the key to a successful or unsuccessful relationship. 
relationship. So how you communicate and how open you are to your partner's communication is huge. Understanding how to connect on a deeper level emotionally with one another. One of the concepts we teach in our program is called emotional bids. And these are moments in the interaction where we are seeking out emotional connection from the other person. We want our emotions to be heard. We want our emotions to be felt by the other person. And successful relationships tend to be relationships where you and your partner respond to each other's emotional bids. So, for example, let's say you're in a relationship and your significant other loves tennis. And you're not a a big fan of tennis. Maybe you're not very good at tennis. But you know that your partner really enjoys playing tennis and your partner would love to spend time playing tennis with you. Well, in order for a relationship to be successful, of course, there is the understanding that it's two people coming together to build something. It's not just you and your needs and your wants. So turning towards an emotional bid would be showing excitement and enthusiasm and participating in tennis with your partner. Turning away from an emotional bid would be suggesting other things to do, avoiding playing tennis, making excuses for playing tennis. And as you can imagine, you know, your partner has passions and interests. And the more you turn away from those passions and interests, the more resentment it's going to build. And the less likely or interested they will be in continuing that relationship. So it all comes down to communication and picking up on these emotional bids and responding to them in your partner. It goes a long way towards building a solid relationship. Now, if you feel like you're struggling in a type of relationship like this, how do you feel is the best way to try to salvage and rebuild that relationship? Well, I think the first thing to ask yourself is, how did you get here? So how has the relationship struggled? Has it been an issue where you haven't felt heard? You've tried to share and communicate, and your partner has grown distant from you, is ignoring you, or uninterested in what you have to share? Uh, Or is it that you've become a little selfish and you've put your wants and needs ahead of your partner's? Um, There's always a balance in a relationship, and I find that a lot of times when relationships are struggling, it's because they're out of balance. Because one partner is making them, selfishly, the center of that relationship and not understanding and connecting with their partner on their emotional bits. So the first thing I would do is ask how. How did we end up here? Whose behavior has been impacting us? Typically, it takes two to party, two to tango. So you're always going to find a situation where, yes, the other person's behavior is impacting you, but oftentimes you're behaving in ways that is impacting them as well. So self-reflection is important. The second thing I would say is being open and honest about the issues as you see them. And we talk about this on the podcast a lot about communicating your emotions. And what I mean by that is not saying, hey, you're doing this wrong, or hey, I hate when you do this, but instead saying, when you do something, it makes me feel X, Y, Z. So when you yell at me about not playing tennis, it makes me feel really bad. It makes me feel disconnected from you. When we start talking to our partner in those terms around our emotions and what how their behaviors impact us, we can actually start to understand each other at a deeper level and start to work through and process some of the conflict that we're feeling. The other key to all of this is taking responsibility. I feel that a lot of times in relationships that are struggling, it's because we're pointing the finger and we're not willing to admit or accept responsibility for our mistakes and for our actions that might be hurting our partner. So opening up that communication, identifying the behaviors that are hurting you and vocalizing how they're impacting you emotionally 
is the key to salvaging and repairing that relationship. Now, if you feel as though you can't salvage a relationship, how do you feel you can find a way to move forward and either find a new way of um, going about with one another or breaking things off entirely? Yeah, well, the most important thing here is creating a boundary, right? So typically in a situation where a partner of ours is misbehaving, is hurting us, is harming us, is abusing us, the first thing to do is identify the behavior, as I said, when you do X, it makes me feel Y. And then offering another behavior that would make you feel better. I would much rather you behave in Z instead because that would make me feel loved, that would make me feel connected to you. And when you give them this other behavior that's more acceptable, that is more fulfilling for you, then give them an opportunity to start acting in that way and actually try the new behavior. I find that a lot of times we write people off too soon. We don't give them an opportunity to change. Now, if you felt that you've given opportunity after setting that boundary and saying, please don't do this, it makes me feel this way, I would prefer you do something else, and they keep doing that behavior that's bothering you, that's hurting you, then at that point you say, I don't think we're a good fit for one another. I think it'd be best if we just remain friends and end the relationship. Um, so understanding that a lot of times... In relationships, we're not good at communication, as I said. And when we're not good at communication, the other person may, behaving, may be behaving in ways that they think are acceptable, and they're not clear understanding that their behaviors are impacting us in a negative way. So that's why it's really important to vocalize and communicate these issues so that you can at least start to handle them and deal with them. And then if there's no improvement, there's no change, this person doesn't really care what our emotions are or how we feel about their behaviors, then we have to make a real decision, and that decision is to move on from that person and to start looking for a new relationship. But what I would add to that, and I encourage everyone who's going through a breakup or coming out of a relationship, to give yourself some time. Find that in a relationship, where especially where we spent years together, you may have made some sacrifices of yourself, you may have changed as an individual, you may have lost some friends, spent less time with people or passions of yours. So I would like all of us who are going through a breakup to spend a little bit more me time, some quality time with yourself, re-engaging your friends, re-engaging your support network, uh, before you just go run and find your next partner. Now, if you feel yourself in that kind of situation as well, and you can identify your own toxicity, how can you go about changing... If you are a toxic person or you have identified a toxic person, what are some of the best ways to change that toxic nature in your life? Right. So, unfortunately, we don't have much control in changing other people's behavior. So, as I said, setting a boundary, letting them know that their behavior impacts us, letting them know what behaviors we prefer to see from them is really uh, the most control we can exert in someone else's behaviors. Now, our own behaviors... That's a different story. If we've identified toxic behaviors in ourselves or our partner has identified toxic behaviors that we'd like to change, well, number one, there's an apology owed to the person you hurt. There's an apology owed to the person whose behavior you impacted. So that's first. And, and real contrition, being honest uh, about and sincere about that apology is important to start the healing. The second thing to say is, you know, this is something that I didn't realize I was doing. It's probably become a habit and a default behavior for me. So I would appreciate 
pattern of mine and it's it's probably very uh, normal for me to behave this way, so I need to start changing it. So if you could be firm in pointing out the times that I'm breaching this boundary of ours, that would help. And number two, I'd like to know what I can do better, what areas I can support you in so that I can start focusing on the right behaviors, so that it raises awareness around the wrong behaviors, the bad behaviors and the habits you're trying to break. And because of that, you can start figuring out what triggers these bad behaviors in yourself and you can start replacing those negative behaviors with positive behaviors. Because the way habits work, they're always triggered by something. There's something that leads us to take that action. So the sooner you can identify what that trigger is, then you can start to swap out the bad habit for the good habit. Now, struggling with identifying yourself as a toxic person or identifying that toxic person can be a really hard thing to do. How do you kind of, what do you tell people if someone's not open to a change and kind of is like, yeah, I might know I'm toxic, but I'm going to keep going on with my life and not changing anything. And if people leave, they leave. What kind of is your advice to that kind of person? Well, I think everyone needs to understand that the most precious resource we all have as humans is time. And who we are spending our time with, what we are spending our time on, is the most important decision you can make. And when it comes to spending time with toxic people, people that abuse us, whether physically, emotionally, verbally, um, that's not someone that you really need to keep spending time with, spending that valuable resource on. So I think setting the boundary, if a toxic person refuses to respect your boundaries, refuses to change their behaviors, or just quite frankly doesn't care about their impact, then it's time for you to ration your time spent with that person, to really be diligent about where you're spending your time and look for new opportunities and new people to spend your time with. Now, another thing that I was wanting to talk to you about, kind of completely shifting the spectrum, um... One question, and I know you've talked about this before as all of these things on podcasts and everything, um, being charismatic. A lot of people have called me charismatic and, like, overly confident in some cases on, like, podcasting and on presentations, and not in a bad way of overly confident, but almost like, a, like, not nervous at all, whereas other people are nervous. How do you feel that that charismaticness and confidence is attainable and how often do you feel it is faked as in my case I feel like I fake it sometimes well I think as we're building confidence and charisma there are certainly going to be moments where we are faking it until it becomes a natural behavior of ours Uh, again when we find ourselves in a situation where we're lacking in confidence we're lacking in charisma well, there's going to have to be a change in our behavior to start rectifying that. And when that change in behavior happens, it's going to start to feel unnatural. It's going to feel awkward. It's going to feel weird to act in a different way. But as you start building confidence and charisma, you're going to have moments where you doubt that you're charismatic or confident. That's a normal part of the growth process. I think both charisma and confidence are skills that can be built they are not something that you're born with. They're skills that we focus in on our boot camp and our coaching programs, uh, both the in-person boot camp and our core confidence group coaching talks exactly that about how to break. 
break down charisma and confidence into simple things that you can start building. And really, when it comes down to confidence, there are three factors that come into play. The first is your attitude. And in order for you to feel confident, you have to start believing in yourself. Now, some of us may believe in ourselves too much, and that borders on arrogance, where we think we're better than other people. But the important thing is to believe that you can achieve your goals, that you can do a good job, that you can nail that job interview, or that you can get on stage and give a great presentation. Uh, when we're lacking in confidence, we tend to have a negative attitude or self-belief that I can't, I'm not good enough, this isn't going to work, uh, this is impossible. So confidence springs from our attitude first. Second is confidence is based on knowledge. How well you know the subject, how well you know how to do that job, how well you know how to socialize is all going to be a factor in to your confidence level in those situations. So for us, a lot of us lack confidence socially. So part of the program is to give you the skills, to, to give you the knowledge and the skills necessary for you to have confidence and know what to do when. Then the third factor in building confidence is experience. And unfortunately, that's where the faking it comes in. Those of us who lack in experience will often feel like we're faking that confidence until we really gain that last piece of experience. And experience, as we know, takes time. Uh, it shouldn't take years, but it definitely takes time to build that last factor in, in confidence. Um, charisma is a little bit different. So charisma has to do with your ability to communicate and connect with other people. And a lot of times, charisma is thought of as something that you're either born with or, or not. And it's something that I had struggled with for a long time. And when we're building out our charisma, we first have to think about our first impression. And it's important that we have an impactful, in the positive way, first impression. Meaning that people walk away from our introduction thinking highly of us, thinking uh, that we're important or that we're interesting or that we're compelling. And the way we do that with our first impression is we focus on our nonverbal communication, our body language. It says a lot about your confidence level, your internal emotional state. So we practice at the Art of Charm, confident body language, charismatic body language that involves good eye contact, a great smile, standing upright and open. Now, the second factor in, in conversation and communication that builds charisma is actually putting a spotlight on the other person you'll find that the most charismatic people in the world don't actually spend much time talking about themselves. Instead, they use curiosity to get the other person opening up to them. And the more a person shares with you, the more charismatic they're going to think you are. It's kind of counterintuitive. We think, oh, if I just share how amazing I am, that person will find me amazing. But in actuality, most people only care about how interested you are in them. They're not going to find you interesting unless you're interested in them. So in our conversation skills to build that charisma, we want to put the spotlight on the other person. We want to focus on them. And then the last step in all of this charisma building is emotional intelligence. And it's understanding, reading other people's emotions and conveying your emotions in a meaningful way that allow people to feel them, emote with them, and feel comfortable around you. When you have those three factors, you've really built out your charisma. Much like confidence, those three factors, attitude, knowledge, experience. When it comes to charisma, it's first impression, it's communication, and ultimately, it's allowing the other person to feel your emotions. More often than not, when you... I don't know how much of a sports fan you are, but watching 
sports. Are you a big sports fan or moderate sports fan? Yeah. When you watch sports, there's lots of arrogant guys. Um, when you watch these arrogant athletes in general, how often times do you feel you're able to detect if it's kind of fake confidence or if it's real char- charisma and real, you know, confidence in their abilities and their talking and everything? Well, I think at the end of the day, performance is what we judge arrogance versus confidence on. So we would argue that someone who's arrogant is someone who believes that they can achieve but is failing at doing so versus someone who we believe is confident is someone who's also performing at a high level. I think what we have to understand about athletes and sports in general is that professional athletes have been celebrated throughout their young uh, adult life as being very skilled at, at one task, whatever that sport may be. And when they're elevated and celebrated in that way, their confidence certainly can balloon, and sometimes it balloons too much and it becomes arrogance. Now, can I spot confidence versus arrogance? I don't know that I have some sort of keen sense of, uh, spidey sense around that, but what I would say is that most of us walk away from a sporting event, watching athletes perform, and think of the winners as the confident ones, and think of the losers as the arrogant ones. So somebody like, example of arrogance, and sometimes backing it up to me, is Conor McGregor. Is someone like him someone you'd consider as charismatic or just arrogant? Or both? Well, I think, I think as we saw... You know, in the beginning of his career, I think it was confident. I think as his career has blossomed, most people would argue now he's more on the side of arrogance. But what we have to keep in mind in this situation is his goal at the end of the day is to get us watching. And there's really nothing wrong with him being arrogant if it sells pay-per-view viewers. So, you know, a lot of, especially when it comes to fighting, UFC, boxing, and the promotions of those bouts involve characters and involve conflict and that means that Connor's going to have to behave in ways that a lot of us would find as arrogant but I think those who are probably close to Connor would probably argue that he's not even like that in real life it's him putting on an act to sell tickets to sell pay-per-view viewers now you guys have sat down on the art of charm with Kobe Ryan before I believe right yeah now how was that experience and how have you learned from that as well well, I think the big takeaway for us it was his visit in studio was just how down to earth and how delightful he was to have him on the show. Like he basically went up to everyone in studio, introduced himself, even though of course we all know who he is. He spent time with everyone and was very thankful for the opportunity to come on the show. Now, obviously, we were blown away by that, having heard the stories about Kobe's arrogance and sometimes his coldness. Um, but again, you know, that's something he turns on on the basketball court and has allowed him to perform at a very high level. Um, but what we've realized with a lot of these athletes and talking to them is that they have this alter ego. They have this persona. So whether it's Connor or whether it's Kobe or whether it's Barry Bonds, they have this persona that allows them to perform physical feats at a high level And sometimes that persona rubs people the wrong way and leads people to believe that they're arrogant, they're jerks, they're rude, they're cold, they're calculating, they're too competitive. 
Uh, and then you get to meet them uh, in real life, not on the basketball court, not in a ring, not on a baseball field. And you realize that they're actually not like that alter ego in person at all. It's just something that they turn on when they're going into battle, so to speak, using air quotes, but when they're going into that athletic event to compete at a high level, to believe that they will hit that three-pointer at the buzzer, to believe that they will hit that home run, to believe that they will knock that person out. Now, how big of um, a deal was that to you to get that opportunity to sit down with some of these um, world-class athletes and talk to them, and honestly, in general, world-class people that you've been able to have on your show? Well, I think that's one thing that podcasting has offered me and the rest of us at The Art of Charm an opportunity that we're incredibly grateful for, that we've built a platform to not only share with our audience, these amazing guests, but an opportunity to actually meet and have conversations with people that uh, normally you wouldn't think a couple of guys from the Midwest would be able to get Kobe Bryant in a room and talk about basketball. So the podcast platform has been a tremendous opportunity for us as a company and individually, and it's opened uh, amazing doors and helped us grow an incredible network full of people who are supportive of our mission and, and willing to share their stories with our audience. So I will be honest, there are certainly moments where I'm pinching myself. I can't believe that I'm able to talk to some of these amazing guests we've had on and learn from their mistakes, their experiences, as well as their expertise. Who, in your opinion, you've a lot of big guests on, was the biggest pinch myself, you know, episode you've ever filmed? Um, well, in the very beginning, right, when we were starting the show 13 years ago, it's a silly story, but, you know, the show was started in my basement in Ann Arbor when I was in graduate school, and we spent a lot of nights going out, socializing, trying to get better at dating, trying to get better at meeting people, and oftentimes we would come home and throw on the TV late night, and there would be Dog the Bounty Hunter episodes on TV. And when the podcast was starting, you know, we only had a couple hundred listeners. It wasn't anything that we thought would be uh, a runaway success, but we thought it'd be fun to interview Dog the Bounty Hunter. So we chased him down, talked to PR, tried to get him on the show, got turned down. And finally, we just decided to call his office in Hawaii. And we actually got him on the phone for a 15-minute episode. And that was kind of a pinch me moment in the very beginning because here was someone that I saw on TV that we enjoyed watching uh, his silly episodes. And then all of a sudden I'm on the phone with him and recording a podcast episode. So that was a really seminal moment in the very beginning of the show. Um, I would say recently, you know, some of the big pinch me moments, of course, Kobe Bryant and meeting him in person was fantastic and getting a chance to talk to him. Uh, Tim Ferriss, you know, someone we had looked up to and, um, we had him on the show before he started his podcast and had him back on a couple times. Uh, and obviously, I've always enjoyed that conversation with him. And I think in general, uh, for me, in running a company, a lot of the guests that I've looked up to are just successful business people who have managed teams effectively and, and grown their companies and scaled them. Uh, it's something that's you know been a goal of the Art of Charm for the last 13 years, me running it. And I'm thankful to now have some of these really successful people in my network. Very, very cool. So I'm going to get to some of my listeners' questions. The very first thing I have for you is one listener said, how do you cut off toxic people? You said this a little bit before, but um, or touched on toxicity, but can you elaborate a little more on their question? 
Yeah, of course. I think, you know, there's a big misconception that when people here cut toxic people out of your life, they think, oh, I just ghost them. I ignore them. I stop answering them. Uh, that's not quite how it works. Toxic people in general don't respond well to being ghosted on. So I think, as I said earlier, it's important to set firm boundaries. It's important to say, when you do this behavior, it makes me feel that. And I would prefer you instead do this or behave this way. And then if they keep behaving in the way that is impacting you negatively, you call it out and you say, this behavior is unacceptable to me and I don't feel comfortable spending more time with you if you're going to behave this way. And it then doesn't really give them much room to blame you, to turn around on you, to do all of the gaslighting that things and things that toxic people will do to try to make you feel like they're the victim. So it's being firm in that boundary it's verbalizing it, it's texting it, it's letting them know they've crossed a boundary. You don't have any more time or patience for it. You've tried, you've vocalized to them how important that boundary is, and they've continued to ignore that and do whatever it is that they please. So that is why you are now not spending time with them. And when you articulate it that way, it creates a wall that allows that toxic person to stay away from you. But if you just ignore them, if you ghost them, uh, there are a lot of toxic sociopathic people who will not see that as, oh, AJ or Dylan doesn't want to hang out with me. They're going to see that as, oh, um, he must be busy, so I'll just keep trying. So I like to be honest. I like to confront it and, and actually spell it out for the person why I don't have any more time for them in my life. Very good answer. Um, so another question from a listener. Why do you personally believe, and if you do feel this way, mental health is so prominent in teens, especially in the society and the age we live in? Well, I think a big problem that we're all facing, whether it's teens or adults, is the rise of social media. And the fact that social media allows us to paint a picture of ourselves online that oftentimes is not reality. It's simply a snapshot of a person's life, uh, oftentimes filtered and photoshopped and made to appear as cool as possible. And because of that, uh, and because we're inundated with that imagery, we tend to look at ourselves in a more negative light and it impacts our self-esteem, it impacts our well-being mentally, and of course it can lead to bullying and even depression and suicide, which is a very scary thought. I think the problem is a lot of us haven't come to terms with just how much social media is impacting our lives. Um, if you've turned on the screen time app on your phone, you'll notice how much time you're spending on these apps and you'll realize that we're spending more and more time online rather than time in person talking to the people we care about and the people who love us. Instead, we are fascinated by what uh, a lady in Australia is eating for breakfast or what an influencer we look up to is doing in Bali. And that can oftentimes lead to us feeling bad about ourselves and, and beating ourselves up needlessly. So I think a big problem in today's society is the rise of social media and our inability to see reality from social media, and it does damage our mental health. Uh, another question also related to the teens. Uh, should schools allow mental health days for students who really need them and are affected by just about everything that happens in their lives, including schoolwork, homework, test studying, friends, bullies, etc. Well, I think in general, we need 
one option that would allow students to get a breather from all the pressure that they're under uh, mentally. But I think more importantly, it really is observing, paying close attention, and trying to build and foster more community so that individuals don't feel isolated, they don't feel less than, and they certainly don't lack in confidence in a way that leads to such a negative self-image or depression. And one of the last listener questions I chose to uh, include, how do you feel you can make friends in a more productive way? Great question. This is one of the um, strategies that we teach in our boot camp in Los Angeles is our social sales funnel. So the easiest way that we found to make friends, uh, especially in today's uh, ever more FOMO, lifestyle is to host an event. So that means going out, meeting people, getting their contact information, and then inviting them to an event that you're hosting. And this event doesn't have to be at your house. It doesn't have to be at your parents' house. It could be in a park. It could be in a beach. It could be at a bar. It could be at a museum. But the point is you are the host. You are the reason that everyone is there. You've invited people to engage in an activity that ideally you really enjoy, showcases your personality, allows you to have fun and be really comfortable, and it's really efficient. So instead of chasing people one-on-one, trying to get everyone to hang out with you for lunch or drinks or go out to the park or go to a sporting event, instead, I encourage anyone who's trying to build a social circle to meet people, go out and socialize as much as possible, but then invite them all to come to an event. And Facebook makes it really easy to set up an event, to remind people about the event, to promote it, put up some images, invite everyone you know. And then at that event, you're going to really get a good sense for who you could potentially be friends with, who enjoyed themselves, who enjoyed that activity that you chose, who was social, who added to the event, who maybe brought some food or brought some drink or brought some other friends. Uh, and that's the other thing we like to do is we like to encourage everyone to invite someone they know that we may not know. And what that does is that grows your reach. It allows you to meet people that potentially you didn't even know because they were bringing friends. And it allows you to quickly understand who is a good fit for your personality, your passions, what you enjoy, and who isn't having fun, who didn't show up to the event, who wasn't interested. So we're not spending, again, our most important resource, time, chasing people one-on-one who may not be a good fit for us. We're hosting an event. We're letting everyone come to the event. We're having a good time. Those who had a great time at the event, then we invite to hang out one-on-one and build a stronger tie with. Uh, We found that events, I host poker nights. I go hiking with entrepreneurs. I've done trivia nights, board games. I mean, the, the events that you can host are literally endless. You can do potlucks, et cetera. But when we play host, We play a home game, and we allow people to show their personality to us, and then we're much better at assessing whether or not someone's a good fit for our social circle. Um, And the last listener question I have for you is, what do you feel is more important, the quantity of your friends or the quality of your friends? Well, I think... That is a big issue with social media, and I'm glad to see that Instagram is now removing the number of likes. I think social media has put a lot of pressure on us to have a large quantity of friends, but 
all science shows that humans are incapable of having thousands of close ties, close, meaningful relationships. We need deep quality relationships to be fulfilled. We don't need lots of surface relationships. So I encourage everyone who's listening to focus more on having five really close friends and making sure that there's quality in your relationships and not just trying to grow your follower count or your friend count on Facebook and collect names and numbers as a super networker or super connector. And instead, focus on building out five quality friends first and then layering on new people into that group. Very good answers to everything. I have two more questions for you. One tying into the title of the show, Ambitious. How do you feel if someone is feeling unmotivated and undriven? And I don't know if that's even a word, but uh, not ambitious. How do you feel someone could be more ambitious? Well, I think ambition is something that's developed like anything else. It's like a muscle. So ambition starts by you taking on a new challenge and accomplishing something. So if right now you're feeling unambitious, uninspired, uninterested, then make a list of everything you're passionate about, everything that you're really excited about, and find ways to engage in those activities. And when you start to engage in activities that invigorate you, that you're passionate about, and you start to get some small wins, you learn to play a uh, song on the guitar, you learn how to build something, you get good at golf, you're going to realize that that process of learning and achieving and mastering is really empowering and allows you to start developing and strengthening your ambition to take on bigger and bigger challenges. And lastly, my final question, I ask this to every guest I have on the show is for you and when it's all said and done, what do you ultimately want your legacy to be on this earth? Well, the the quote I have on my Facebook is legacy is greater than currency. And I would love to have impacted the lives of millions of people and help them strengthen their social skills, build up their self image and confidence. Even if they're introverted like myself, I know how difficult it was uh, getting negative feedback from people that I thought liked me. I know how difficult it's been to make friends as an introvert, to be able to pass on all of this great science and knowledge I've built up over the last 13 years on how to master conversation, build your charisma and confidence. I'd love for that impact to be shared with the millions of listeners we have on the podcast and, and all of the wonderful coaching clients who've come through our core confidence program or our boot camp. Well, thank you very much, AJ, for taking the time to come on. It was a lot of fun sitting down and talking to you and picking your brain for a little bit. I do want to give you this time before we close out to plug social media platforms, plug the podcast, plug everything and anything you would like to. The carpet is yours. Thank you. Yeah, I would love to encourage everyone who enjoyed this podcast and interested in developing out your social skills, building your charisma, becoming more persuasive, getting a bigger social network or going your professional network to check out our podcast, The Art of Charm. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We have weekly episodes, uh, some of which are interviews with amazingly successful people. And we really try to help you get the social skills that you didn't get in school. You can find me on social media. I'm at AJ Harbinger on Instagram and Facebook, as well as The Art of Charm is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
Uh, if you're interested in, in challenging yourself and testing your social skills, you can check out our free 10-day social skills challenge. That's at theartofcharm.com slash challenge. Thank you very much, AJ, for taking the time to come on. It was a lot of fun. Once again, I want to thank AJ Harbinger for taking the time to come on Ambitious. It was a lot of fun to sit down and pick his brain for a little bit, especially on mental health, relationships, and social norms and more. It was a really good conversation, and I'm glad we got to have it. AJ's a guy I listen to often on the Art of Charm podcast, one of the biggest podcasts in the world, and someone I really enjoy link learning and gaining knowledge from and he's a very cool person and that shows great uh check it out on apple podcast the art of charm podcast and also check out more of ambitious episodes on apple podcast spotify stitcher everywhere you listen to podcasts and reminder you can follow us on instagram at ambitious podcast twitter at ambitious with dp and be back here next week for another great episode a big episode next week with an absolutely phenomenal athlete that you won't want to miss thanks for tuning in and be back here next week for another episode